Hey, I'm Mike Joseph, and thank you for listening to Detoxicity, a show by men, about men, but for everyone. I hope you enjoy the content of this podcast, and I want to let you know about a few things you can do to support us and our mission to challenge traditional notions of masculinity and create a more communicative, positive, and loving environment for all. You can subscribe to Detoxicity on any podcast platform that you use to listen. We are available just about everywhere. Also, don't hesitate to rate and comment as these help us move up in the podcast rankings. I'm on social media, or at least I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Feel free to drop me a follow. Now I have a Patreon page, yay! And uh, Patreon gives you the opportunity to get cool merch and exclusive episodes of this podcast in exchange for subscribing. Go to patreon.com slash detoxicitypod to find out more. Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. First off, I really want to quickly acknowledge the fact that Detoxicity just reached its third anniversary. Uh, first episode aired on March 3rd, 2020. Here we are, three years later, still doing it. And it really is because of the amazing guests that I've gotten and the feedback that I get from folks who listen. So I just want to say thank you, and I am very, very grateful for the fact that you all take the time to listen to these conversations. Um, I hope you continue to do so, and obviously feedback is always welcome. So make sure you hit me up on socials or via email. All that stuff is at the beginning of the show anyway, so I don't need to repeat it. Uh, also want to let you all know that we are going to shift a little bit and do episodes bi-weekly going forward as opposed to weekly. Uh, I might pop one in on an off cycle every now and then, but the majority of Detoxicity episodes going forward will be released on a bi-weekly basis. Now on to this week's show. Uh, my guest is Ahmad Juma. Uh, Ahmad might be my first guest based in the UK, so we are going even further international. We're going outside of North America. We've done episodes uh, with Canadian friends, and we did an episode in Mexico. But now we're going out to the UK. We're becoming truly international. Uh, Ahmad does many things. Uh, he has been a coach. Uh, currently, he is a visual artist. Uh, he has a character named Shookman uh, that he has big, big plans for. And his tagline basically is that he helps young men conquer fear using art. Uh, we talk about what that is all about. Uh, we talk about uh, his creation of the character Shookman and what that means for people who are dealing with things like anxiety and self-doubt. Uh, we talk about just being your authentic, true self and how important that is. We talk about uh, parental relationships and how being authentic has changed the way that he interacts with his father so much more. It is such an inspiring story, so I hope you enjoy this. Everybody, check out Ahmad. Hi, my name's Ahmad. I am an artist, and I'm using my art to help young men beat fear and create joy in their life. And I ended up here because I I guess I struggled with a lot of anxiety without even knowing it growing up. And it was just like, like a fish in water doesn't see the problems that actually is bouncing around in his head. But I was always seeking something, some better way. I always had this desire, and I guess we all do. And that seeking led me to discover development, personal growth. And I recognized the anxiety and I recognized that 
it's not a natural way of being. And uh, everything that I've learned has led me here to all the work that I'm doing now. When did you start to make that connection? When did that recognizing start to take place? Was it when you were a kid or was it when you were a little bit older? I think I really became aware of it at university because that's where all of a sudden I was out on my own. Whereas before in, in school and in high school, you kind of have a group of friends that you move through those stages with and you've got your little network. And so you don't really notice. But then what I realized at university was after the first couple of weeks of freshers, where everyone's bonding and making friends, after that, my social circle did in certain size. And then I realized one day when I wanted to go out, and this for me is a really key moment in my life, I wanted to go out and all my friends were busy. The three friends, <laughs> they were busy. And I was in a really cool town. It's a place called Nottingham in the UK. Mm-hmm. And it's known for a good nightlife and stuff. And you can almost hear the sound of music in the air on a Friday night. And I genuinely just felt too chicken to go out by myself. And not even just talking to women, but also talking to guys, right? Just like whatever, just to go out by myself and socialize. And that's when it hit me like, man, I expected more of myself in some way. I was like, what's up with that? And that's where things started to change. And did you immediately recognize it as anxiety? Did you have the the verbiage in your head already? No, not at all. I just realized it as a problem. Like when I say problem, like a problem internally, just like, oh, hang on. That's not how I want to live. I want to be confident. I want to be able to go out and meet new people and just be free. I didn't realize like, oh, okay, I've got a certain mind structure or anything like that. I just thought, oh, fuck, hang on. Why am I feeling this way? Right. Yeah. It's interesting to me that a lot of people have language to describe this stuff as soon as it happens now. But as little as five years ago, there wasn't so much talk about this and people really struggled. And I think a lot of people in certain places still struggle with trying to find the words to describe what's going on in their head and in their body. For sure. When you're in that situation, you're at university, you're trying to be social, you're struggling with this, you find yourself frozen when wanting to socialize. How do you push your way out of that? Or, well, how did you do it and how long did it take you? <laughs> well, how long? I feel like that's a journey that never ends. <laughs> that <laughs> is fair. Obviously, I've changed, right? Maybe not, obviously, but I know for me, I've changed. It's a really cool question because I think what it reveals is very interesting because often I feel like a lot of us, for whatever reason, maybe Disney or whatever, but we feel like our life is supposed to be some sort of perfect, smooth ride. And often it's actually the frustrations and pain that cause the biggest changes and that make us go, I need to change this about myself. And that's actually what happened for me. Like, I remember speaking to a friend of mine on the phone and I cried. I I was just like, I was really frustrated by this. And this isn't how it should be. And she actually said to me, it's not that bad. But to me, it was. And actually what I did from that point on was, I mean, the internet was a thing then. And I Googled like confidence and this. And of course, what came up back then was this whole movement around dating and men going to learn about dating. And that's where it kind of like really got into going out as a way of, trying to solve that and to be honest now that i think back i haven't thought about it for a long time when i think back it was tough man like (laughs) feeling so i don't know inwards internal and whatever and then going over and speaking to someone that i didn't know and all the feelings it was hard it was a hard slog to break through that yeah I don't know that people understand how scary that can be for some people i think i'm a reasonably social person but that's taken a lot of recognizing that I wasn't a social person and trying to kind of get over it. And even still, I'm probably most comfortable 
like I need to loosen up. I need a drink or something to get into the mode of, okay, mm-hmm. I'm loose. I can be social now. And some people never get like, get to a point where say they walk into a party, a friend's having a party and they only know one or two people there. And the idea of introducing themselves to a group of mostly strangers scares them so much that they won't go. I mean, right. Not even other people. That's happened to me. Yeah, it's not a friend. Yeah, <laughs> it's me. Yeah, yes. yeah no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously many ways to break through that. But what have you found are some ways to get over that social anxiety and just go and throw yourself in there? Okay. So I, I didn't learn this immediately, right? What I'm about to share. But this definitely was, for me, the turning point. And just to touch on what you're saying, I don't feel like I'm that person still. I'm not a party guy or whatever. I turn up and just talk to everyone. But I've come to just appreciate that's more of a personality type thing. And also, I don't necessarily want to talk to everyone. Like I was out earlier today on a gardening thing that I'm currently doing. I'm learning how to grow organic vegetables. And I found myself to be quiet in the morning. And I just was like, okay, I'm not going to push myself to be sociable. However, going back to your question, what I found was the real game changer was... It's two words, but the first word is authenticity, like being real, right? Saying this is how it is. The second word is vulnerability. And vulnerability for me is an access to authenticity because this is the thing. I know as I share this, people are going to be like, I'm not fucking doing that. (laughs) (laughs) But one day a friend of mine actually recommended, he said, listen, just when you're in a club and you see someone attractive, go over. He said, look, this is not a tactic. This is not necessarily going to get you a win or anything like that. But go over and say, hey, I'm really nervous, but I've come over and wanted to talk to you. And that right there is laying down the sword, laying down the armor. None of this like, oh, I'm going to come up with a pick line, pick up line. Or, or clever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. None of that. It's going to be straight like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And what I've noticed, and this is even to the point now, I mean, who I am today and because of all the stuff that I've done is the power of emotions, when we can be in touch with them, that is what makes everything. The art, music, the poetry, telling a proposal, telling someone you love them, making a speech, whatever, right? It's that allowing that emotion to just express itself. And so what I've learned is actually when we can't express our, I'm doing, I don't know if people can see a video, <laughs> but I'm doing like weaknesses, they're not weaknesses. But when we can't express our fears and our doubts, then we're also going to struggle to express our fullest joy because we're going to feel judged on both ends of the spectrum. Right. And what I found over time is vulnerability is really an access to that authenticity because we're being vulnerable here. And I'll repeat it, vulnerability is on both sides. It's for joy as well as it is for the whatever other feelings that we're experiencing. This is, I guess, the other part of that particular conversation. I think you also have to be prepared for whatever response you're going to get from the person that you're being vulnerable to because not everybody reacts the same way to a person being authentic and vulnerable. Sure. What I found that the thing is you can't really prepare for something you don't know, right? So (laughs) what I have found over the years is what's the word like? There's no bad outcome in that sense. So I just preface this with a little story. Mm -hmm. So I used to take guys out and teach them in bars and clubs, right? And there was one day where I was working with a client and he came over to me whilst we're in session and he said, I'm feeling really nervous. And I said, cool. Okay. And then just as he said that, and I didn't know what was going to happen, but a bar girl or a shop girl, one of these women who has all the little shop glasses and stuff, she came out, we're in the smoking area outside. So she came out. I said, okay, cool. Go over and tell her this. All right. Not just to see what happens, but to get him to be 
open and vulnerable, right? So he goes over. He doesn't even say hello. <laughs> he doesn't even say hello. He just tells mm-hmm. her, hey, I'm feeling nervous, right? <laughs> I'm feeling nervous, and I don't like the idea of people, or how do you put it? I'm feeling nervous, and I don't like the idea of people saying no to me. Okay. Okay. Her response blew his mind. Like the matrix melted because she said, how do you think I feel? Mm. She's a shot girl. She's going around offering shots to people. People are telling her no all night all long. All the time. Yeah. 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 And his mind was just like, what? But see, for me, what that does immediately is it breeds compassion and it shows you that everyone's the same. We're all dealing with the same stuff. We really are. I think that People, like uh, all genders, struggle in social situations. I think men a lot of times struggle in social situations because they're not taught the same tools, vulnerability, authenticity, empathy, all of the things that we've already talked about. They're not really taught those tools when it comes to interacting with other people. And your journey, I I just wonder, is that stuff that you were taught at a young age? Like in terms of masculinity in general, like what was your learning process? I think a key differentiator for me was that growing up, I had a lot of women around in that I'm a middle child. I have an older sister and a younger sister, and it was my mother. And then I had a whole bunch of cousins who were predominantly female. Now, that didn't necessarily make me a ladies' man or anything like that in particular, but I think just being around that energy without even knowing, right? Just, again, the kind of the fish-in-water metaphor. But I feel like that gave me a more sensitive side and a greater awareness. Even when I say awareness, I mean the sensitivity awareness of these things and of other people. So that then allowed me to better understand the journey because I never necessarily had a different education around it. But when I started to learn, my ability to be vulnerable to my own thoughts and feelings and to be sensitive is a gift in this realm. Because as you've said there, it's something that a lot of men can't connect with or relate to or verbalize or like vocalize. It's almost like someone once said, if you don't have the name or the vocabulary for all the colors of purple, all you're going to see is purple when you Mm. see purple. You're not going to see deep velvet or you show whatever you're just going to see purple so i think that's how it is i love that metaphor (laughs) that is an amazing way to articulate that um and you didn't say it explicitly in your notes but you've essentially done a lot of coaching Mm. i i think what you're doing is great because it doesn't only apply to dating and we've had dating coaches on before and i've said this on previous shows it applies to all types of relationships And these same tools can better your relationships, your deep relationships with your friends, your family members, your coworkers, whoever is in your life. It doesn't necessarily have to be a someone that you're looking to date. How did you ultimately acquire the skills to be able to teach other people? Yeah, I think what it was, I had a good friend. We knew each other from high school and we weren't really good friends back then. But after high school, we went both into university through mutual friends. We stayed connected. And one day he told me that he was interested in learning about this whole pickup scene, which I was surprised because he was someone that was always confident with women. And then he found some sort of seminar and I was like, I haven't touched it for a while, so I'll come along and and join you. And what I discovered there, both of us, in fact, what we discovered was we were as good as the coaches (laughs) in terms of what we knew. And then we volunteered to the company at the time to help and to serve others And then from there, it kind of grew. And then that's where I became more, and then I started getting paid for that. 
And then rightly so, as you've said, what I realized quite quickly is I've never felt like, oh, I'm really good at this. I feel like my main thing has always been about self-actualization. Like I was saying at the start, the seeking of betterment, the seeking of who am I? What am I really capable of? I've always been interested in that. And part of this, being a better human is being in touch with my own emotions and my own feelings. And the more I'm in touch with that, I can appreciate we're all going through the same stuff, just with a different point of view and different variables in terms of how our life has gone. Right. You and I are, you should be clear from hearing your accent. We're in different parts of the world. (laughs) 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 And I am curious if me from American culture, you from UK culture, both attacking the same topic in similar ways. But I wonder if men in the UK are socialized differently than men in the US, at least from my limited knowledge. It seems like guys in the UK are less toxic in that, like, dress up and camouflage, shoot guns, beat people (laughs) up kind of sense. And I think there is a trope that British men are a little, this is the whole stiff upper lip. Uh, can't show any way to all. come out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's <laughs> that. So it feels like people are repressed, but mm. also not toxic in a violent sense. Mm. I mean, to- the concept of the toxicity and these things, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about our education as men. And you didn't say this, but I said it, the sensitivity to be able to understand. Because I think when we think about that, not just with other genders or whatever, but just as a human being to be aware of our impact on other people. And when we say Mm -hmm. things and we all make mistakes, we all do things and we all have, let's say wounds in our ego or whatever identity, what I've discovered or what I've experienced is we, we all trigger people in different ways and we all get triggered. Like (laughs) I have a friend who she used to say, everyone she dates turns into a stalker. I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure if I dated you, I turn into a stalker. It's almost like we pull things out of people. They reflect. This is the thing about being human. I feel like we all reflect each other and aspects in each other. But without that awareness, what my understanding of it is, we basically remain emotionally as children. We never progress into that greater awareness. Yeah, physically, you may be... 18, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, whatever. But emotionally, if you've never looked at yourself and questioned why you do what you do, then inherently, since you're a child, that hasn't necessarily changed. Maybe it has. I'm not saying it hasn't, but it hasn't necessarily changed. (laughs) Whereas for me, I can look back and go, no, I've definitely grown as a person and as a human in terms of my emotional experiences. That's amazing. I think growth is super important. And it's important to acknowledge that we are evolving beings. Still have this thing in my head. And I don't even know where it came from, to be honest with you. It must have come from my parents or elders where the adults are like, well, we know everything now. Or at least they kind of come across as like, Mm. we know everything now. And as I've gotten older, I've learned that they didn't know as much as I thought they knew. They didn't know as Mm -hmm. much as maybe they thought they knew. And that you have to change well, A, you have to change because the world changes. But also, we never stop learning. We never stop learning about ourselves. We never stop learning about other people. We are constantly in a state of evolution. And if that evolution ever stops, like we're done. You know, yeah. I think it's super important to acknowledge that. And I, you had mentioned in the notes how that actually, the learning that you've done, 
has actually improved your relationships with certain family members. And I, I wanted to discuss that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. To touch on what you were saying there, there's a quote or something some time ago, which was along the lines of human beings think that we're often in a state of thinking that we're complete, not realizing that it's a constant, like you said there, right? It's over when you're dead. <laughs> Until then, though, it's constant. And that speaks into these two philosophies of education. One is the fixed mindset and one's a growth mindset. And the fixed mindset is the idea that we can't learn who we are is complete. And that's it. Whereas a growth mindset is always like, no matter what, it's always like, okay, I can change, I can evolve and I can adapt. And I personally believe, and I, others do too, but growth mindset is how we remain resilient in life. And so in regards to like my own life, I grew up in a very strict Muslim household. And for me, I totally appreciate the structures of all religions, really, given how tough life is. I feel like structure and routine really give us a peace of mind, no matter what that is, whatever people want to do. However, growing up, I had a lot of issues. I've always been a bit of a rebel in that sense. Or I say rebel, maybe it's not the right word, divergent. Sure. <laughs> I'm always trying out different things and doing things outside the box. And for most of my life, I felt that created a distance between me and my father. And eventually, what had to happen was I had to own up and say, listen, this is not something that I feel connected to in the same way. And it was a tough conversation. But as essentially, what it all boiled back down to was, again, being vulnerable and realizing that, well, it does boil down to being vulnerable. But really, I suppose the real frustration there was I was being inauthentic. Mm. And that was tough. I was being inauthentic and in that, that space, it's not like it was my father's fault or anyone's fault, it was me. I was the one that was choosing to do that and live that way. And so I had to own up and I had to be authentic and I had to be vulnerable in order to express that authenticity and be like, this isn't something that works for me. And initially he was very upset and we had a few discussions about this, but where we met and where I feel like now we have a really beautiful bond is that he realized and recognized, as did I in the moment, that at the core basis of my values was being honest. That was what I was attempting to achieve in my discussions with him. And that's one of his highest values is being honest. And so he could see that actually, well, okay, fine, right? You're choosing not to follow the same traditions as I have followed. And as much as that must have hurt him, he appreciated that actually he's got a son who values being honest because he said you could do this and that I said well dad I could do that and then I'd be back to lying to you again so I'd rather go this path and be open and free than to to be lying to you again and for me now having lived this way I am cautious about any sort of entanglement where I'm going to find myself in a bind of lying and the reason being is because it robs me of my expression. It robs me of my freedom and, and ability to, to just be. And it's a constant game because we all have personalities. We're all human. We all have faults and this and that. Right. And life is continuously presenting us with challenges <laughs> to trip us up. So, Absolutely. And when it comes to family, even for somebody like me who has differing levels of closeness with members of their family, there is see if I can try to explain this properly. You talk about having an open and honest conversation with your father, and you had to have known going in that there was the possibility that your dad was going to be super, super disappointed. And I think it's brave to still have that conversation because you are going in with your full self, knowing that there could be consequences that you're going to have to reckon with after that happens. And 
this has happened to me. It's happened to a lot of people I know. It is happening to a lot of people, whether right. it's religion, whether it's sexual orientation, a, a lot of things where you love and honor your elders. You love and honor people that are close to you, but you are also aware of the fact that being fully authentic with them might drive a wedge into that relationship. And people proceed differently. Some people are like, okay, well, I'm willing to take this risk and hopefully it'll make for a better relationship down the line. Or maybe me and this person have been lying to each other this whole time and we just need to take a step back from the relationship and see what comes as a result of it. I think where the real trouble comes in is when people feel as though they have to be a different version of themselves or a false version of themselves just to keep those relationships that they value close. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no one size fits all, obviously, with mm -hmm. sort of conversation. However, something that I did learn throughout life, we learned many different things. And one of the things that has really helped me when it comes to difficult conversations and sensitive conversations like this of any type is the idea of setting up the listening. It's like the framing of a conversation. And that's something that I learned and it's something that I've used time and again. And it's not a manipulation technique. It's actually a way of, like I said, framing the conversation so that the person you're speaking to knows why you're saying what you're saying. Okay. And the thing about that is often we come along and we just say, hey, I need to get something off my chest and I don't know how to say it. And so we just rip the bandaid off and we say it. Right. And I get that because often it's like, gosh, we've been holding on to this secret or whatever mm -hmm. for a long time and we don't know how to say it and eventually it has to come out and it's like a pressure build and it just bursts out. So what I found that's very useful when I say setting up the listening is in my case, like my father specifically, and obviously you can adapt this quite easily, but with him specifically, it was like, hey dad, I realized that I would like to have a better relationship with you. And I feel like I don't have such a great relationship with you. And I feel one of the reasons for that is because I can't be honest with you. And so I want to change that. And I want to change that by being honest with you. So you see already, I've not just come out and said, hey, dad, I've done da 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 <laughs> It's like, hey, dad, I actually, this is what I want to achieve. This is the outcome. This is why I'm doing this. Because And no, nothing in there is false. Nothing in there is, is untrue or manipulative. Right. It's just true. This is actually what I want to achieve. And this is what I feel is in the way. And then I say what I need to say off the back of that. And this is not necessary for anyone else to do. But I, for me personally, I would often write the things down in a letter first. And then I would read that letter. Face to face, I would read that letter. Reason being because it's such a high emotional point in time that I know for me personally that I'm probably not going to be able to either hold back from crying or having some sort of reaction to the weight of the information coming out. So then having a letter just allows me to go, okay, I've written it. I'm going to read it to you. This is what it says. And then the first time I ever had a conversation like that with him, I remember him saying to me, Ahmad, you're too hard on yourself. <laughs> and I was like, wow. I was like, what? <laughs> and, I, and I remember looking at the letter thinking, did I miss something off this letter? There was a whole heap of stuff on there that he was supposed to be super angry about. And in the end, he wasn't. So I'm wondering globally, like how much of our nervousness when it comes to having these difficult conversations comes from the fact that we imagine the reactions in our head before they actually happen. And then when we have the conversations, we're always like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it goes back to it's very interesting because you said it earlier. And I think this is the fascinating thing about it. It's like you don't know how people are going to respond. And we never know. 
in life in general. And I think that's one of the beauties of living life authentically, living life as an adventure, as opposed to trying to control everything and know exactly what's going to happen next. It's like, right. you know, life is unknown. That is absolutely true. I guess I can turn this into a two-part question. What has been the most difficult thing for you to change or accept? Uh, and then the second part is, what do you think has been the most difficult part for other people to understand about what you're teaching? So when you say what's been the most difficult thing for me to change or accept, you mean about myself? About yourself, yes. Okay. I think this whole topic, what I've just been saying initially has been one of the most difficult things to change and accept because again growing up in a strict muslim household like that was everything and uh, essentially i was educated in that anything outside of this and i'm going to hell so then as a kid it's like that old metaphor of the elephant when the elephant's a baby and you tie its leg with a rope to a stick and the elephant can't move and as it grows older you just tie its leg and it doesn't move because it still believes that that it can't move right and so to reevaluate that core belief and to go, hang on a second, is this really true for me? Wow, that took a lot. That took a lot of energy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely one of the biggest things I've done. And for me, it created a lot of freedom. And eventually it created a lot of compassion because I've gone full circle in a way. I live by principles that most religions live by, but I live by them because of my own awareness of how life goes. Like karma, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I want to do bad to other people. I don't want to lie or cheat or steal or anything like that because I believe that there is some sort of karmic balance, even if not like literally, just even in my head, it exists here. I know I've done it. (laughs) And if I know I've done it, I already feel bad. So I feel like there is value to religion and religious structures. And the hardest thing for people to, I think, accept about what I'm currently doing, I think for men, it's quite tough still to own up to the fact that they don't feel good or comfortable, especially when we're younger. You know, perhaps they always feel like we're supposed to know how to look after ourselves and stuff. However, equally, what's funny is there's two sides to what I'm currently doing. There's the coaching aspect, which is very much like, like, hey, this is what it is. And then there's the art and media, which is more like, okay, this is what it is, but in story form. And I think that's the beauty of what I'm doing with the story form is that it's not in your face. It's not like, hey, you need to look at this, but rather it's like, this is a story and it will resonate with you and you won't necessarily know why. Right. (laughs) And that's okay. Right. Were you always an artistic type person? According to my relatives, I was, but (laughs) somehow somewhere along the way, I suppressed that and I forgot And it was only during COVID, uh, 2020, 2021, we all had a lot of time on our hands at home and stuff. I started sketching more on my iPad. And uh, my partner, who I was with then, she told me, hey, these are really good. And it gave me the confidence to go, hey, hang on a sec, there's something I really enjoy here. And then I just got more and more into it. So, yeah. And that manifested itself into Shookman. So uh, I want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the funny thing with Shookman, so I actually originally drew him the first time in 2016. And that was with a pen on a piece of paper. And I just drew him from intuition. I had this feeling to sit down and draw and I drew that, but I didn't do too much with it. And over like, what what, like, was it? Four, five, eight, no, seven, we're seven years now? Or no? <laughs> oh, God, man, seven yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, man, time flies. But what's happened since then is that I would, I ended up drawing more and more. And then I also started to better understand the concept for myself. 
Like when I say that, what I mean is, is about identity, is about where everything I've been talking to you on this podcast has been me as a result of me formulating and understanding for myself, like what is Shookman and what is his value to the world? And what I've understood now is cool. I've made this thing, which is visible. And by making something like fear and anxiety visible, when you see it and you can engage with it, it takes the power out of it. When it's just something in our heads, it just bounces around and it seems like it's a million times bigger than it really is. When in, in actual fact, actually, it's like one or two things and maybe I can deal with that. And the other cool thing about Shookman is it breeds compassion because you start to realize everyone has this. Like there's not a single person, doesn't matter who you are, how much wealth or how much success or whatever gender, everyone's got it. Every single human on this planet on this planet experiences confidence issues, anxiety, depression at different, different stages in their life. And so that's the beauty of it. So for me now, becoming aware of the world of Shookman creates new possibilities for everyone. But the real power in it is starting to understand where did your personal shook man come from? So we all have this little voice in our heads, and that's like the voice of shook man, the voice of the voice of our fear and anxieties that tells us what we can and can't do. And what I've realized for myself is that's five-year-old me. That's going right back. That's five-year-old me and the five-year-old decisions that are still ruling my life today. And we all have that. And the more we can recognize that, like I'm scared of this or I'm afraid to do that because of this long-standing decision from a long time ago so yeah that's like seven years worth of awareness in less than five minutes that's very well put together for seven years in five minutes <laughs> yeah. impressed as you're talking it really makes me think about how all of these behaviors are ingrained in us from a very very young age and there's a saying that old habits die hard oh yeah and really once you've gotten into self-talk or self-doubt or lack of confidence, any of that stuff, it is really, really hard to break out of it. And I think some people, and again, I'm speaking from my own experience here, can cover up the confidence or cover up the lack of confidence. I'm sorry. Right. They can fake it until they make it or fake it yeah. until they have to reckon with the real shit that exists. Yeah. And I, I don't know that there's a way to... Like, I wish there was a way to just get everybody to, to be like, oh, there are these wounds that I have that are these long standing wounds, and I should probably confront them. But there's not a way, like, you can't wave a magic wand and everybody get the knowledge at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think if you tell some people that they're dealing with a particular issue, it actually makes them dig in harder to yeah. uh, for avoidance or resistance or whatever it is. So I like the idea that you have this character who's talking about all this stuff and it's almost subversive in a way like because it's like some people need to you can be like mike you have a booger in your nose and i'll be like nah man i don't have a booger in my nose but then you look in the mirror and you're like oh shit i actually do have a booger in my nose yeah, yeah, right? yeah. so sometimes you just have to find out for yourself mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. uh, just curious what you think about the whole sort of being direct with people about yeah. the things that they need to confront versus having them find out yeah, like come yeah. to their own conclusion. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And the reason why is like, so again, from my understandings of things, the mind is very logical. And the thing about that is it that in and of itself, that's where Shookman resides. And that's where your fears reside. It all, it all resides in the mind. Fears and anxiety aren't actually real. 
They're not real things. They're not tangible things. They're in your head. <laughs> it's an interpretation right. of reality. It's not a real thing. And the thing is, though, so just like you said there, when you logically or directly say to someone, like, hey, man, like, this is a thing, in their identity, it's like they don't want to hear that. You're going to touch upon pride. You're going to insult them. Even if they know it's true, we've all seen it, like a kid with a hand caught in a cookie jar and they'll be like no i didn't do it <laughs> yes. yeah it's yeah. like your hand is literally still yeah. in the jar <laughs> yes 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 and and so the interesting thing is and again this speaks beautifully into sort of the why of shook man also I'm, I'm kind of tentative to share this because it's almost like this is not supposed to be shared but why not you've asked me so the beauty of it all is that art in all its forms it bypasses the logical mind when you use story form and art, your logical mind is not engaging with it. Like, hey, man, you've got a boogie on your nose. <laughs> it's not like that. Right. You're just watching it and you're like, oh, this is fun. This is entertaining. But your subconscious mind is like, click, 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 click. And it's taking note. Yep. And so you can bypass that logical factor. And it's fascinating, but it's true for all of us that we are very protective of our identity. Even me, with all my awareness, one of the first things I'm going to do is I'm going to defend myself. And then I'll be like, hang on, I'm being defensive. <laughs> and then I'll be like, okay, you know, you're right. <laughs> I need to fix up on this particular topic, whatever. But using art, it bypasses that and it communicates directly to the heart. And I mean, this is a bit separate to, to what you were saying, but I thought of it as you were talking, is I feel like the thing about our identity and our wounds, it's not necessary that we need to get rid of them or we need to heal 100%, whatever. I think it's part of the game of life. You grew up in the particular way that you grew up. I grew up in the way that I grew up. You see, the variables are set. Mm -hmm. The parents were given and the variables are set. The soil was a certain fertility and you grew inside of that. That's your game. That's your life. Those are your cards. And mine's my game. And here I am having turned that into something that is my passion, my love and my enjoyment. And it doesn't have to be everyone becomes a life coach. No. You can be a painter. You don't have to be an artist. I like painting houses, right? right. You, you could be in business. You could pick up trash, whatever. It doesn't matter, but everyone's different and unique. And I think that ability to look at something that isn't how we want it to be, that sort of frustration, and then turn that into something that we do want, finding our own way. Like one of the most beautiful things that I've heard and I believe in is that it's not for one person to come and save us all, but rather for each of us to wake up individually. And you've got a background in music. Art has that capacity to communicate and transcend through that and really speak into people like, and get the feelings to emerge in a way much deeper than someone like a pastor or a coach or whatever, a leader going, da, 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 do this. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think that art, whether it's drawing pictures or writing or music or whatever it is, has the capacity to really reach people in a way that having direct conversations, particularly in a sense where it's like one person, you mentioned pastors and a pastor administers to a flock, right? It's not one-on-one -on -one conversations. It's not like everybody in that church is on equal ground, air quotes, equal right. ground. Someone is being lectured to. Mm -hmm. I think there's value in the exchange of information between people with everybody on equal ground and sharing experiences that can be similar to art. But I do think that when there's a perceived power imbalance, mm. I, I think those lessons don't necessarily go the same way because there's a difference between being talked with and being talked at. Mm. 
Sure. And I, I'm still trying to kind of figure that out myself, whether it's podcasting or coaching or whatever. Sometimes I'm like, am I coming from a place where it sounds like I, I'm better than people? Because mm-hmm. I'm 100% not. And I, I want people that listen to these conversations to feel as though they are being talked with as opposed to being talked at. Mm-hmm. So drawing those lines can be super, super difficult. And in a lot of cases with art, those lines don't have to be drawn because the person that is receiving the information is receiving it however they want to receive it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a believer that, I mean, speaking is actually one of my arts as well. I'm good at communicating. That's something that I've learned over time. What I mean by learned is I've learned that that's a gift. And yeah, we don't know how things will be received. And it goes back to, for me personally, based on what you just said there, being vulnerable and authentic goes back to speaking from emotion, goes back to expressing art, goes back to whether you're making music or you're doing whatever. I like the idea, for me, I mean, define myself as an artist, but it doesn't matter what I'm doing these days, whether I'm making a PDF or an Excel spreadsheet, I'm like, I'm going to create art. And what that means to me is I'm just going to let that thing unfold. And it's way better always when I do that compared to if I say, okay, I need to make a letter. It's like my brain works much better when I just let things flow. But when we come from that authenticity, we don't have to worry about, are we speaking at someone? We're speaking authentically. And rarely do we speak authentically from a place of like, I'm going to tell you. Mm. They say, I'm going to tell you, but you're saying, I'm going to tell you because this is what I experienced. Right. So however you want to receive is fine, but this was my experience. How are you... With this knowledge that you've acquired and with all of the stuff that you're doing, how are you taking time also to take care of yourself? (laughs) Because a lot of what you do helps others. It's designed to help others. Yeah, everything that I talk about, I'm constantly learning as well. And I apply it to myself. So I have conversations with myself. It's funny now I look back and I think about this journey of emotional awareness. But my emotional awareness is at a point where if I feel something and I sense that, hang on, Am I pushing this down? And I'll allow that emotion to sit and I will converse with it, not necessarily out loud, but just converse with what is this emotion? What is it trying to express? And just allow myself to experience that. Like I went out on Friday night, had a lot to drink, felt a little bit hungover and had one of those more like self-reflective days <laughs> off the back of that. And I felt lonely because just went from hanging out with loads of friends and then now I'm spending Saturday by myself and uh, I was just like oh and then I sat with that for a bit and I, and actually I ended up having a very productive day off the back of that rather than just going oh no I don't want to feel lonely or let me just text someone or whatever no I just allow myself to go huh I feel a bit lonely okay that's interesting that's okay and allow that to come up so that's one way the other thing is like I said I've mentioned about religion in terms of structure like the way I see religions is like the structure that it provides. And I have structures in my life. So I'm a coach and I have a coach and I speak to my coach once every two weeks. And that's a phenomenal structure because it means every couple of weeks I'm checking in. I'm saying, this is what I've done. This is what I'm going for, blah, blah, blah. Right. And that's beautiful. And I also have like a group of friends that I know I can speak to. So there's communication, there's structures. I do meditations. I've created routines and structures in my life that, support me ongoingly. I I think about coaches needing coach and it goes back to, I've been in therapy for a long time and uh, just reminds me of the first time I heard a therapist tell me, well, yeah, I see a therapist as well. 
And I was like, oh, that makes total sense. Not only because, A, you're having these difficult conversations with people and that's bound to wear on you internally, but I feel like everybody needs someone or someones that they can have therapeutic or coaching type conversations with, even if it's informal. Yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah, one of the things that I've come to appreciate is that I'm good at coaching and I'm a very good coach. However, kind of like I was saying earlier about when you confront someone and their identity, there are certain things that they don't want to hear in their identity, right? And it's in that same way, our own identity and egos, however you want to understand it, that or however you do understand it, that that doesn't allow us to see the, the fullness in the same way as an outside person can say, oh, hey, have you noticed this? Like you were saying about the booger on your nose. Without a mirror, you're never going to see that, right? But the coach is like a mirror that's going to go, hey, by the way, have you noticed this? And I find that fascinating, but I find that that is, seems to be the way of the world. No, I think you're absolutely right. So do you have anything planned for the future or the next step of what you're doing, whether it's you personally or you as a coach or you as an artist or some combination of the three? Yeah. So in the long game, what I would absolutely love is to have a feature film out on based on the concept. And the medium to short term is going to create a short film animation to get the concept animated. That I feel is going to be like, what I've been saying to people is that's a small step for me, but it's a huge step for Shook Man. It's <laughs> a giant leap for Shook Man. Yes. And to have him animated and people see the concept, that's going to be just amazing. And then what's also unfolding is workshops for children using Shook Man as a core concept to teach them about emotions from a very young age so that they have these tools and awareness to then already start to become aware of their emotions and this idea of Shook Man and how to navigate that field and recently was having some discussions about using the same sort of concepts and creating art with young offenders and again helping them to do it so yeah there's a lot of different things in the mix for me it's like a 10-year plan it's a long game and I'm just enjoying the ride and and letting it unfold in its own beautiful way I think that's amazing I think starting kids young is a, a great tactic because Again, thinking back to my own journey, right? Mm -hmm. I can remember being six, seven, 10, 11, feeling a lot of feelings that I now realize were related to lack of confidence, that were related to depression, were related to anxiety, maybe had even been related to trauma at that point. Mm -hmm. And I wish that there had been resources mm -hmm. to help me understand that better then. So I didn't have to spend my 30s and the first part of my 40s going through therapy still trying to figure this stuff out like I would have been ahead of the game and I think really what you're doing is is super important and looking forward to the feature film I want to be able to buy tickets to it or see it on Netflix yeah, yeah for know. sure I can't wait for that myself man <laughs> a few years from now when there is a Shook Man movie or a Shook Man TV show I hope that uh, we come back to this episode so I can say I knew him when. Anyway, thank you, Ahmad, for being on the show and speaking so honestly and openly. Uh, folks listening, if you want to know more about him, you can follow him online. He is on Instagram at ahmad.juma. Uh, his website is ahmadjuma.com, A-H-M-A-D-J-O-O-M-A.com. Uh, he talks a little bit about what he does. Uh, there's a lot of Shook Man content there. He has merch. Uh, so make sure you check him out once again. That is AhmadJuma.com. Thank you for being on the show, man. 
Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, Once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, Follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as DetoxPodGuy. Uh, You can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, Please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, Rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings, Uh, follow me on social media, like I said, uh, follow our Patreon, or subscribe to my Patreon, actually, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, you get access to exclusive episodes, you get episodes a little earlier than the general public, you get a cool-ass sticker, lots of stuff, once again, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, quick shout out to Calvin Williams for providing the music, and, uh, doing his magic on the logo which was originally designed by jacob block i thank you all for listening i wish you all the best please take care of each other till next time peace